So I think there is a serious case to be had for vaccine mandates for preventing pertussis, measles, uh, meningococcus in, in children. It's not clear that that really trans, transposes to thinking about COVID in children, um, both because the illness is so much milder uh, and because our experience with the vaccine is so much less. So some countries offer COVID vaccines to young children from the age of five, and many parents who had no doubts whatsoever to get a vaccine for themselves are actually quite hesitant when it comes to getting their children vaccinated. Are there good reasons to be so hesitant? In this interview, I talked to Dominic Wilkinson, who is a consultant neonatologist at Oxford's John Radcliffe Hospital and the Professor of Medical Ethics at the University of Oxford. <laughs> Hello, I'm Katrin de Volder from the Oxford Hugh Hero Centre for Practical Ethics. This is Thinking Out Loud, conversations with leading philosophers from around the world on topics that concern us all. If you'd like to see more of my interviews, don't forget to subscribe to the Practical Ethics channel on YouTube. And you can also just listen to the interviews on Apple Podcasts. And so in general, uh, we, of course, have prudential and moral reasons to get vaccinated. Uh, we do it to protect ourselves and to protect others by reducing the risk of uh, transmission. But how do these reasons um, play out in the case of uh, vaccinating uh, young children? So you're right. That there are two separate reasons for having any vaccine. One is for your own health. The other is for the sake of other people's health. And I think there are some interesting differences when we think about children. Firstly, in terms of the children themselves, um, the question is, uh, do the benefits outweigh the risks? The reason that this question of balance is different for children is primarily because this is a, a, a very much milder illness in children. So children, are, uh, particularly those who don't have underlying health conditions, are very rarely hospitalised, very rarely seriously ill, and thankfully very rarely die as a consequence of COVID, though all of those things can happen. Uh, balanced against that are what we know of the, the complications and risks. We've got reasonable evidence that the vaccine side effects are very rare and those that are, do occur, like, for example, heart inflammation in some teenagers, are usually pretty mild. Some people on the face of that say, look, you've just got to give the vaccine. We're giving it to everybody else. We should give it to children too. Others take a much more cautious approach. And one of the reasons for being cautious, in particular in relation to children, is because vaccines are really important for children. We give vaccines, many more vaccines to children than we do to adults. There are many illnesses that we can prevent, serious illnesses in children. But we found, as with MMR, that that community trust in vaccines is quite fragile. And if they feel that vaccines are being given that are not safe, the whole vaccine program might be threatened. And indeed, we've seen some of that uh, in this pandemic. General vaccine, vaccine skeptics have been reinforced and that actually some of the regular vaccines have not ended up being given as much as they should. It's much more important, in fact, probably for children to get their regular vaccines than it is to have a COVID vaccine. Now that's all really in relation to children's health. There is an, another factor, again, just focusing on children themselves, which is children's education. So one of the arguments uh, that has been given for giving vaccines to children is that that would stop them being sick and then off school, missing out on school. It would stop disruptions in the classroom where 
you're, for example, sending home a whole lot of kids because somebody in the class has got COVID. Now, that educational interruption is not usually a factor that's included when we think about the medical risks and benefits of a vaccine for children. But it does seem relevant in the context of a pandemic when children's education has been seriously interrupted and when, in fact, the biggest impact, direct impact on, on children has been through the, the disruptions to their life. It hasn't been because of the virus. It's because of, been because of what we've had to do in response to the virus. So that does seem relevant, but it is also contextual. It depends partly on how we respond to the virus. If we respond to virus in schools by excluding children who are, for example, asymptomatic, but have got a positive lateral flow test, then yes, they'll end up missing 10 days of school if they get positive. Um, if we have a, any more active policy of sending home the whole class, if anybody in the class has got the virus, as we did at some stages, then again, that there's a much higher probability of educational disruption. If we took a different approach and said, we're not going to go looking for the virus in children's nose, if they're symptomatic, they should stay home, just like with every other virus. But if they're well, they could go to school, just like with every other virus. Then that factor might be a smaller one in terms of the vaccine. Again, this is all about children themselves. There's a separate reason to give a vaccine, which is to protect other people. And of course, when we think about why we should have the vaccine as adults, partly it's for our own health, but partly it's to protect other people, to stop us from passing the virus on to people who might be vulnerable. It's a reason why even those people who think that they're healthy and not at very great risk from the virus ethically ought to, morally ought to have the vaccine. But it's a different sort of consideration when it comes to children, because particularly for the younger children, they don't get to make that decision or make that ethical evaluation about taking one for, for the country, taking one, having a shot to, to protect other people, to protect grandma, to protect the, the, their teacher. Because if we're vaccinating children to protect other people, some people might say, well, look, you're using children as a means. That might be justified, but it is, a, it is in some senses a more difficult ethical terrain. So I have some questions about the things um, that you said. So if we take such an indirect benefit into account as a reason for vaccinating children, I mean, shouldn't we take many other indirect benefits into account? Um, so I'm thinking of, um, yeah, maybe the risk of uh, children infecting their grandparents or, for example, just, um, you know, parents, their parents who can keep working because they don't have to look after sick children it's good for the economy and surely that will be good um, for the children so where do we draw the line in determining what kinds of indirect benefits we can take into consideration because if we take many into consideration then of course the case for vaccinating children becomes very strong very quickly yeah i mean uh, it's going to depend partly on how great these benefits are one of the challenges with some of these indirect benefits is that they're, they're much harder to measure. They're harder to quantify. Uh, and that's one reason why I think traditionally panels of scientists and doctors and experts have focused on the medical considerations. Those are much easier to quantify in, uh, and model in terms of the, the data about a particular 
intervention, particular vaccine in this case. For these direct benefits, there are standard ways of measuring those, quantifying those, and then calculating, is the benefit big enough relative to the cost? Indirect benefits become more tricky. They become more tricky to know how to add up, how to, how to model, how to measure. And that's one of the reasons why uh, groups like JCVI have traditionally tended to avoid them. But I think that there are, there are some interesting questions when it comes to vaccine about who the decision maker is and what they take into account. The vaccine expert group in the, in the UK, JCVI, only thinks about medical benefits, medical harms for the child, doesn't think about other people. That's one reason why they came up with a different recommendation for teenagers than the health ministers who were thinking about the bigger picture, were conscious of spread of the virus in the community, thinking about uh, also about children's education. There's a different, even broader perspective which we might take and which I think is highly relevant to children's vaccines, which is about how do we do most good overall? I, I, we've talked about this really difficult balance for children, direct, indirect benefits versus uncertain harms. It's difficult. It's probably in favour of, of giving the vaccine. But there's another group for whom it's very clear the benefits way outweigh the, the risks and for whom who ought to be a much higher priority. And those are particularly those in the, in the developing world who have not yet had their first dose of a vaccine and who are at much higher risk of serious illness from, from COVID. It seems like what you're implying is that we should, instead of giving vaccines to children, we should probably give them to people, adults in, in low-income countries and so on. But isn't the problem more um, that the government sort of supports the pharmaceutical industry um, who puts, of course, profits before saving human lives and so on? So the, the problem is something much bigger and the, co the government could probably solve the problem by focusing on, on like, you know, changing the way patterns work and sort of making sure that vaccines could be produced globally instead of saying like, oh, look, we're not going to vaccinate our own children. We're going to like give these vaccines to, to other people. I mean, there, there are all sorts of situations where we can imagine that if our society had taken a different path or was structured in a different way, that there would be a better overall distribution of, of benefits or well-being. The point is, how do we, what should we do at this particular point in time? I mean, we're, we're talking right now, uh, but if we could rewind six months uh, or, or 12 months, the question is, what do you do at that point? You have a limited supply of vaccines. You've vaccinated those who are at risk in your own country, and you are starting to, to go to those who are at uh, decreasing risk, personal risk from the virus. Question is, is it right to be giving the vaccine to those in your own country who are at very low risk of serious illness uh, from the virus when there are others elsewhere at very high risk, who remain at very high risk, who still haven't had access to a first dose? If people, if these people were within our own borders, we would say, no, of course we wouldn't give it to the children before we would give it to 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, those who've got underlying illness. No, we've got to give it to them first. Of course we do. But because they're elsewhere, we think we can just ignore their needs. Now, of course, it would be better if we could do both. If we had a different vaccine development supply uh, or if there were some global allocation scheme that, uh, that 
gave countries uh, a fair uh, share in proportion to need and population, etc. Th that would be great if there were such a system. We're not going to get to that overnight. We might think about how we could get to that for the next pandemic. But the question is, what do we do at this point in time? There was something else that you mentioned that I'm, uh, I would like to hear a little bit more about that I find really interesting. So sort of the magnitude of the indirect benefits of vaccinating children, like school closures and this and that, will depend on regulations that are in place, like, like you pointed out. So in some countries, uh, like you said, children have to remain home when there's just been been a close contact they've been in close contact with someone with covid or there is like one case in the class and in other countries like in england's classes just remain open even when there are a lot of cases uh, like in my daughter's class um <laughs> at the moment it seems like the reasons for vaccination of children become stronger the more restrictive the regulations are um does that sort of so so it seems then that countries have to choose like either you keep your restrictive policies but you vaccinate the children so they don't have all these disruptions or um you loosen policies and then the reason for vaccinating children just becomes much weaker is that sort of right I, so i think there is definitely a connection between restrictiveness of general policies and approach to vaccination and one way of identifying that is those countries where they are deliberately attempting to keep the cases very, very low, there's a real need to get the whole population immunized as quickly as possible. Because um, otherwise you're stuck. And it's one of the reasons why uh, some of the zero COVID countries have found themselves in a dilemma uh, they've been able to, to in for many periods of the, in the pandemic, live normal lives, but then they've been trapped. Uh, they can't get out of the zero COVID situation without having very high immunisation rates. Until they've got that, they can't relax the rules. Uh, so, so the 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 two are are tightly connected. If you have a more lax general policy in terms of. Uh, allowing virus spread, allowing virus cases, then there, there are two ways in which the case for vaccination might become smaller. One is because the disruptions to lives are smaller, so these indirect benefits are smaller. The other is because so many in the community have already had the virus, that the, the marginal benefit of vaccination in terms of reducing spread is much smaller. It's not so clear that you would gain a huge amount for adults, for example, at this point, by vaccinating children in the UK. It, it just seems highly unlikely when the vast majority of adults have already had boosters in the, in the UK. Ecuador um, has introduced a vaccine mandate for all of its citizens from the age of five. And uh, so the government's justification is um, that it has a duty to protect the right to health of its citizens. So apart from reasons that such a policy might um, increase uh, vaccination hesitancy in, in general, do you think it's a, a justified policy? I think there, there are definite cases for mandatory vaccination, uh, including in children. Um, and I think the strongest cases uh, are where we've got vaccines that we've used for a very long time and we're very, we've got lots of evidence about their safety. Uh, and we've also got very serious illnesses that we're trying 
to prevent. So I think there is a serious case to be had for vaccine mandates for preventing pertussis, measles, uh, meningococcus in, in children. It's not clear that that really trans transposes to thinking about COVID in children, um, both because the illness is so much milder uh, and because our experience with the vaccine is so much less that there would be a risk in, in such a policy that we'd end up doing more harm than good to children. And of course, if we did, then we'd, we'd find find ourselves in, in real trouble with with vaccine politics and vaccine acceptance. And so maybe um, to end, so what do you think is the most important lesson learned from this pandemic? Like what should we do better when preparing for uh, or tackling the next pandemic? Well, I do think we need to think about uh, the big picture and priority for vaccines. One of the things about uh, a new a, a pandemic is that it presents a threat to the whole world. Uh, that means that the scale of the problem is enormous, it's global, uh, and it generates real problems with resource allocation because we can't possibly have enough to treat everybody in the world simultaneously. So if you then develop new treatments or new vaccines, you're going to have to work out who do you give it to first. Now, I think our response in this pandemic of allowing rich countries to buy up quickly big stocks stockpiles of the vaccine to then get all their their citizens vaccinated first and then down the track to say oh yes well we might have oh we, we'll rustle in our, our bottom drawer oh we've got a few doses here you can have these um a year two years down the track there are still many patients people in in developing countries who haven't got close to a vaccine yet of course there are other problems there are problems with vaccine delivery and supply that contribute to some, but not all of those problems. That's a serious problem that as a global community, we haven't found a good solution for. And our, our, the, the things that we had put in place uh, prior to the pandemic, uh, the COVAX initiative, although they did some, some positive things, really just weren't up to the task of, uh, of addressing this problem. If you liked this video, don't forget to subscribe to the Practical Ethics channel and the Thinking Out Loud Facebook page.